Christmas. It's good to have you guys with us today. Uh, really, I mean it. This is uh, the only Sunday in this season and this year of, of the church calendar during the Christmas season. Christmas Day is the first day of Christmas as we sing the song, The Twelve Days of Christmas. That song was written about the church calendar that some churches still follow today where you have different seasons for different times of the year. And we just finished Advent and now we're in the season Christmas for today through Actually, next Sunday is technically in the Christmas season, but we will observe Epiphany next Sunday because it's the following day. So anyway, Merry Christmas. <clears throat> my, uh, my thoughts today are on the mystery of Christmas based on that amazing reading from uh, the introduction to the book of John. Sometimes people refer to those 18 verses, the first, the opening of the Gospel of John as the prologue of the Gospel of John. There's been a, an amazing number of books written about it. Uh, men that have studied many, many years just on those 18 verses. I once had a professor in New Testament Greek when I was in school in Dallas. He himself was getting his doctorate degree from Dallas Theological Seminary. Uh, he was, uh, he was t supposed to be teaching us Greek. Uh, it was the first class it was like from, from uh, six, to, six to eight, I believe. It seemed like it was two hours, maybe 90 minutes. But <clears throat> he had this habit of, of just going off on rabbit trails and spending almost the whole, the whole class talking to us, not so much about uh, the Greek language itself but just about theology and his uh, his understanding of the deeper insights he had gained from his many years of study so he would instill he would uh, spend the entire class discussing uh, his different views and one day he uh, he was using the first two verses of John as a, an example in our Greek lesson and he started he just went off uh, like he often did, off the cuff started talking about the meaning of the words and the different thoughts about uh, the depth of, of the teaching and he actually spent the whole class just talking about those two verses uh, without any notes, just off the cuff, it was amazing. So if you ever want something to really dig down deep into, I recommend you spend some time studying the what the great theologians of the church have to say about verses 1 to 18 of the first chapter of John. So you may be wondering what's the big deal and why on the only Sunday of this Christmas season would this passage be chosen for the lectionary, the readings that we do during the service from the different portions of the Bible. Why choose this passage for the gospel reading well, there's a lot of reasons, and the best reason is because this passage affirms the identity of who Christ is. It affirms that Christ is an eternal being, eternal God. He's always existed in relationship with the Father. And we know from the rest of the scriptures that with the Holy Spirit. 
So with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are one God. The first Greek word, the first Greek word in this passage used to describe Jesus is the word logos, logos, L-O-G-O-S in English, characters. Other words in this passage that add layers to our understanding of who Jesus is are light, life, flesh, glory, the only Son of the Father, grace, and truth, as well as being described as the creator of all that is. All those words are explaining who Christ is and what he's like. The passage presents the big picture of what Christmas is really about. The second person of the Trinity, the only Son of the Father, it says in Philippians, he emptied himself. He emptied himself of his role and place within the Trinity and became a human baby. He became an embryo within the womb of the Virgin Mary. In the balance of this book, the Gospel of John declares the reason for it all. For God so loved the world. That was the reason for the Son of God to leave heaven and come to earth. In the letters that Paul wrote to the churches, and he, he, he revealed that it was, it was Christ, our Lord and Savior, who actually holds all things together. In the book of uh, Colossians, one of Paul's letters, he writes... Jesus writes, I want you to know that being knit together in love, my desire is for you to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. He goes on to say that See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to man's tradition, according to the elementary spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. So he's saying that, that in, in the person of Jesus, the man Jesus. He was fully human and fully God that in his human body dwelt all the, the person of God, the deity of God in bodily in, in his human body. He goes on to say that having been buried with him in baptism you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our sins by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. That's the gospel. That's the reason that Christ became a child.
So we really can sing with confidence because of that passage that says that all things are in Christ and he holds all things together. We can sing with confidence that song that is still taught in many preschool Sunday school classes today. He's got the whole world in his hands. It's true. The arrival of the long-awaited Messiah must have created much intense emotions for those first disciples and followers when they came to believe that Jesus was the Son of God. For these Jewish believers, they were almost certainly looking forward to a revolution led by Jesus to overthrow the oppressive rule of the Roman Emperor over Jerusalem and Judea. Imagine their confusion when Jesus taught such revolutionary ideas as love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. When he told Peter to put his sword away when the mob came to arrest him. Christ came to usher in the kingdom of God here on this earth, but not in the way of this world, not through the use of power and violence and the threat of violence. The way of Christ was to receive the violence upon his own body, accepting the outpouring of hate and evil from the twisted hearts of men just like us, and to forgive them. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, were some of his last words from the cross. He came to die as the only acceptable sacrifice for our sin, but also to be an example to us an example of service to our fellow man, washing their feet, an example of compassion for those who are suffering, an example of healing and deliverance for those who are sick and dying or, or enslaved to chains that most oftentimes can't be seen with human eyes but are just as real, chains that keep us bound up, enslaved to habits and thoughts that we want to be free from. Jesus declared on the Sermon on the Mount that the good news that he was announcing was the best news ever for those who recognize their neediness, the poor in spirit, for those who mourn, for the meek, for those who hunger for justice, for those who are enduring persecution and for those who are peacemakers. He announced to those people whose lives were left exposed to the battering winds and rains of life that he was the sure foundation and the absolutely impenetrable shelter from any storm. This Christmas season, in the midst of the shock of the bills for all the gifts that are coming due soon and the even in the onslaught of the winter season's crud and flu bug, during the gray cold and often wet days with the long nights that we have during the winter season, consider the wonder of the story, of the story, of God's story. The truth, the one who is the truth, who is truth, he who is light and grace stepped aside from his throne to become a servant to all, not just a servant, but a sacrifice, willingly laying down his life, accepting the weight of my sin and the sin of every person who has or ever, ever will live, 
in order that we might be reconciled, that we might be made right, that our debt has been paid in full and nailed to the cross, that we might be made whole and set free from the chains of sin and guilt. Allow the astonishment from the beauty of such fierce love, love in spite of the rejection and rebellion of his beloved, allow it to wash over you anew or perhaps even for the first time to experience the renewal of hope, the refreshing joy to lift up your face so that you may gaze into the face of the one who has come to save us. It truly is joy to the world. Amen. Let's stand together and proclaim our common faith in the Nicene Creed. It's on page 3 in the booklet, and we're going to...